Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 10th of June 2020 Hong Kong Stories Podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Life is full of uncertainties, and when we feel battered and bruised by the typhoon winds of our lives, we turn to the people around us for a helping hand and a welcome shoulder. As we navigate through the seas of our lives, our communities and our relationships are what keep us afloat. And today we have two stories. The first is from Venus, about finding her feet. And the second is a replay of a story from Austin about which side of the door he's on. Before we get to today's stories, though, a huge and heartfelt thanks go out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. We are so grateful to have been able to provide a storytelling community for Hong Kong. Thanks for joining us and for all of your generous support. Thanks wrote to our overseas listeners today as well. This week especially to listeners in Paris, France, Hyderabad in India, and Philadelphia in Pennsylvania in the USA. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. In July, we'll be returning to our regular free weekly workshops. Thanks to our entire Hong Kong community for your patience and care, and for masking up and keeping us all safe. We'll keep you updated on the website, hongkongstories.com. In the meantime, we're off to a fantastic start for the next live show, which will be on Wednesday, the 24th of June at the Fringe Club. Our storytellers are fine-tuning and practicing to deliver the best stories they can. Due to COVID regulations and to keep everyone comfortable, our seating will be sparser than usual. Ticketing is available through the link on our website, the Facebook event page, and through Ticket Lab. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. And now from our December 2019 show with the theme, Meeting You, here is Venus. Three years ago, I just got out of a long-distance relationship, so I went on Tinder, looking for something fun and exciting, nothing too serious. And then I saw her profile, V, a 23-year-old girl from Montreal who figured out a visa to work at a bar in Hong Kong. There's definitely a strong white backpacker vibe there, but she looked cute. At least we'll have Putin to talk about. All right, bring it on. And success. We had a really great first date. Um, We went out for dinner and we had a really great chat. So it was followed by more dinners, uh, movie, music festival, late night beach swim, all the exciting and romantic stuff. And then five dates later, I had a major knee surgery done, which left me pretty immobile and sadly housebound. V would come and wheel me to the nearby parks every other day, in between jobs or after work, sometimes with food that I liked, and one time with flowers. And knowing how bored I was at home all the time, she even took me to see a famous visiting show in Macau, only after making sure that there were safe and accessible ways to travel there. I was quickly charmed by her thoughtfulness, And I thought, oh, wow, this girl's trying so hard, but I'll take it. (laughs) And needless to say, in the following months, we continued to see each other. And uh, during this time, she had family, friends, and 
friends of friends visiting from abroad. And she picked them up at the airport, showed them around, and she always offered to host them in her shared flat. And she would sleep on the couch just so they could sleep more comfortably in her own bed. Now, this would happen every three to four weeks. Maybe it's jealousy talking, but I was like, all this attention is a little bit much, right? I mean, they're adults after all. Come on, they can surely figure things out by themselves. And then one time, she was hosting、uh, a hot pot dinner for ten people, and she asked her guests to bring one or two ingredients without having to contribute to the rest of the groceries, most of which the two of us bought. Now she was working part time then, and I just quit my job. So I was particularly conscious about money. So I pulled her aside to protest. Ah, Ben just got a bunch of enoki mushrooms, and Jen, come on, a pack of sausages? That's not fair. And she just replied calmly, "Well, Ben, I know that he's been quite broke lately, and Jen, she's not doing very well either. I want them to be able to participate without, you know, thinking too much, having the pressure, and just contributing, contribute according to their own means." Later, V refused to let me、uh, pay for half of the groceries, and she just offered to pay more. So all these little things made me realize that V always considers others' feelings and needs first, and she goes out of her way to make sure that they feel comfortable and welcomed. So it's not just to woo me after all. That's just how she is, and. You know, my my cynical side was attributing all this to you know stereotypical Canadianness, but deep down, <laughs> deep down, I was hoping I could be more thoughtful and caring, just like her too. I continued to be unemployed for、um, a total of six months before landing a job that was really a good fit for me. I was so excited to just leave this period of despair and self-doubt behind and become a valued senior manager at a charity. I remember telling V, "Oh my God, I love it! I love my job so much. It's so worth the wait. I want to write all the proposals." <laughs> you know, they say, "Be careful what you wish for." Because it's true, writing all the proposals quickly became my reality. Within the first few weeks, all the old staff left one by one, and soon there was just me left on my team. So I had to figure out both old and new things from scratch, and just pretty much had to do everything on my own. So I started to work late, and that affected me and my meetup schedule. Evening came、um, every hour or so. I would text her. 7 p.m. Dinner at home sounds great. Thanks for picking up the groceries. 8 p.m. I'm almost done,、uh, but if you're hungry, please eat first. 9 p.m. Gah! I'm still here. Ah,、uh, I'll just quickly grab something to eat around here. Don't wait up, but I'll be there after. Okay? I'm sorry. 10 p.m. <sighs> Babe, I need some more time. Can we meet this weekend instead? I'm so sorry. And week after week, I would just rotate a variation of these lines, 
And when we did meet, our activities would most likely be lounging around and watching Netflix because I was too exhausted to go out, or me stealing time to work on my laptop, or me ranting sadly about work in her arms. And sometimes she would accompany me to buy a bunch of work program materials in Shamshaipo just so I didn't have to haul like 50 sets of toys back to the office on my own on a weekend. I know, I know. I was very conscious of how unfair it was for V, and I felt really guilty. But V always just quietly accepted it and never got mad at me, so I just let it be. I was too tired to be creative about it anyway. And then one day, V told me that she wanted some alone time. My previous relationships taught me that. That's not a good sign. So immediately I was alert and worried that she was going to leave me. And frankly, that's probably what I deserved. So she told me after. I don't want to break up, no. But I do want some time alone to focus on myself and do things that make me happy. I don't want to sit around just waiting to fit into your schedule. She cried And then she held me and said, I'm sad, but I'm not mad at you. Can we do something to make things better? I was touched by the expanse of her heart. Growing up under the punitive approach of Chinese parenting, you know, I never realized that kindness and forgiveness would be so much more powerful than the threat of a bad consequence. This year, I decided to take things easy and I work mostly part-time. So I've regained my mental and physical health and I've been able to nourish my relationships with V, my family and friends. Three years after our first date, V is still around and spending her birthday today watching the show. Um, and con- <laughs> um, and most importantly, she continues to show me the much kinder world that I hope we can all live in one day. Thank you. Where would we be without the people who show us kindness? We know our fellow Hong Kongers are very kind, and we look forward to opening up our workshops starting in July again to hear your stories firsthand. If you want to know more, please visit the website hongkongstories.com. Now, here is a story told way back in 2016 at the Hong Kong International Literary Festival. Here is Austin. About... Uh, Eight years ago, I was making a transition with my family from the United States to come to Hong Kong. And I had had lived in other Asian cities before. I had lived in other Asian countries before on a couple other tours of duty. So I thought, this I don't think that will be a problem. So it really caught me off guard when I found this quite a serious problem. I didn't know the simplest things that were giving me trouble. It was, uh, not the, it was not the big things. It was not culture. It was not language. It was not uh, the food. It was these 
intangibles, imperceptible things. If I wrote a research paper on it, I'd probably call it the negotiation of personal space in the public realm. <laughs> but, but that doesn't explain very much, so probably I should just give you a couple examples. I lived in Causeway Bay, and I had to go to work in Central. That's three stops. That should be very easy. But again, no, it was not easy. I could not get on the train, and I, I didn't know why. It was defying any kind of logic. So that get in there in the morning. The train would come, pulls in, doors open. There's a wall of faces looking back the other way. Twelve people come out. And then, according to normal commuter logic, there should be 12 people who get on. But then I, I couldn't get on. So people in front of me were getting on. People behind me were getting impatient. They'd zip around and they'd get on. And I'd just be left doing this thing that looked like a non-interactive uh, uh, a game of charades to a captive audience who I had there for a few seconds trying to indicate that I'd like to get through. And I, I can see space back there. I can see there's space, but I just can't get to it. And then pretty soon... And that's so, it's such a condescending sound that you just know that someone in the MTR, they designed it purposely to make that. And so that I would wait there two or three rounds, and I wasn't getting on there. And I had to face the thing that I didn't want to face. I do not know how to use the subway. And so I, what do you do in this situation? I said, okay, let's back up. Let's think about this. Hong Kong is one of the densest places in the world in terms of population. Causeway Bay is one of the densest places in Hong Kong. Rush hour is one of the densest times that you're going to find in the subway. So this is not like you can just wander out there, like wander onto the, the, the field and during the World Cup and wonder, why, why are things not going well for me? This is an extreme sport. It is a competitive, serious-level competitive sport. And you've got to train. You've got to figure out what you're going to do. So... What do you do in that situation? You need consultants. So I had, a, a, you know, my friends took pity on me. So I don't understand what the problem is and said, well, what do you, I just can't get on the, the, the train. And then the, one guy would say, well, uh, you know, you do have to be a little bit vocal. I mean, I said, I did. I said, I said, I'm going, I, said I can't, I can't even hear you. Are you saying that they're not, you have to send like a sonic wedge out into the crowd you have to say, M'goy, M'goy, and then, then, you, then you go. And I said, okay. I'll, I'll. And then the other guy, the other guy said, well, you know, you do, you, sometimes you've got to get a little physical. You've got to get in there. We have elbows for a reason. You know, they're not going to invite you in. You know, you've got to assert so, okay, okay. And then there was just, some stuff was just esoteric. You know, a guy said, like, well, you know, sometimes you do have to just matrix it. Like, like what does is, what is, what is matrix it mean? He goes, you know, you've seen people do it. They just... So sometimes you got to do it. You just got to do it. So, okay, okay. I get, I'm, I'm not hopeless. I'm not hopeless. I just got to put this stuff together and, and, and run, run it a few times, and, and it'll, it'll, it'll be fine. So I went out there, but that, that morning I had a kind of a, a breakthrough or, or a breakdown, breakthrough, breakdown. Sometimes it just they're all the same. And I was, I was waiting in position. I was getting ready with the mgoi, and then the train pulls in. The doors open up. The wall of faces. Ten people get on, and I'm ready to go. But there's a guy standing there. 
He's got a newspaper open, arms fully stretched back to the door like this. And that is an advanced level move. That is not, that was not in the manual. I, you know, you cannot find anything on YouTube on how to counter it. And, and so I just started trying to get out there and I'm going, I'm going and move. And then I could find, hear, feel the beep, beeps coming and I, I just panicked. And so it all unraveled and I, and I lost it. I just said, I, Mr. Newspaper Guy, can you put your, can you let other people use the MTR, please? And, and, and just, and then sleeping, standing up lady, can you, sorry to wake you, can you just move? A little bit, and then they can come through, and then I can get, oh, and then, boop, 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 shh, it closed. And so they're all staring at me. It was quite awkward. So I just said, see, I knew we could do it. I knew we could do it. You could do it. You could do it. We did it together. We did it together. And it was early Obama era, so somehow that just slid into, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And and uh, they, they, they now suddenly I had a lot of room, and people were... Pressed up back against the against the walls of the uh, of the car, and they were like not making eye contact and drawing their children closer. And so it, but it, it worked. But it came at a very large cost, and the energy expended was just not worth it. I couldn't do this on a daily level, so I was I was not able to get to the, the space that I wanted. And at the same time, space that I had, I was not able to keep in other situations. It was um, a few weeks after that. Uh, it was Lunar New Year, which is, as you know, very big time in Hong Kong. And I wanted to go to uh, Taihang. That's the area kind of behind the central library. And um, I want to take my family there because it is, uh, there's an old village tradition there called the Fire Dragon. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but there's they wind through these very narrow streets, and they have uh, this dragon that's 70 meters long, and it's got 70,000 uh, incense sticking out of it like porcupine quills. So when people are carrying it and winding through these narrow streets, it's billowing with smoke and almost literally on fire. And, I, and even though at this point I really feared uh, almost as a, as a um, phobia going out in crowds in Hong Kong, I thought, well, the children, they'll love it, and we really should. We really should go. The only problem was that there were thousands of other people who had a similar commitment to support local culture, and they were all crammed in to that very small district that night. And there were police barricades along the street because they needed to make room for the uh, the dragon. And that left a very small strip of pavement that Everyone was being channeled along, so it was almost like a current. It was like a, it was like a tide, and I was afraid that the kids are still small. I was afraid that they were just going to be lifted off their feet and drift off, and, and, I, and we'd be separated. So I thought, how are we going to manage this? And then I saw down the, down the way there was a light, a light post or maybe a signpost, and there was a small amount of space between the barricade and the, and the signpost. And I thought, that's our spot. We can... So as we drifted by, I, I, I grabbed onto the post and ushered the kids into that little spot. My wife stood on the side, and I kind of closed myself like a gate in front of there. And I left plenty of room over there so that there's no, no blockage. And I maintained a very tight configuration against this post because I didn't want to seem you know, space entitled or anything. So I just, my elbow was tight against my side and I was tight against this post. And I thought, this is fair. I'll just be like this. And I probably will be jostled around. But as long as 
nothing disturbs this side, it's fine. And then I got, at, at a certain point, I got what I can only call a, like a, a jabbing sensation. It was like a directional nudge in my, in my side. And I thought, all right, well, maybe it's a guy with a sports bag and he has a, some tennis rackets in it and he just turned into me. Or maybe there was a sale on durian earlier in the <laughs> afternoon. But I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to ignore it. It's fine. And again, this side is okay. But it was not to be ignored. It came back again with more direction, more insistence, more force. And I thought, it's like, this is someone's head. Someone is trying to burrow into this non-existent space. And I thought, you got to be joking. You know, I'm pressed against my kid. My kid is pressed against the barricade. And then there's 70,000 incense on the other side swirling in all directions. Where do you want to go? There's nowhere to go. I thought, well, maybe this, oh, it's a kid. It's just a very overexcited, you know, uh, um, um, insistent little kid who wants to get through. And I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll just let, I'll let him through. And then I thought it through, and I thought, you know what, if I let him through, he's going to bring seven friends. My kids don't know how to hold space. They're going to be dragged into the undertow, and I'm not going to see them for the rest of the evening. So, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold my position here. And I had to even work through the logic. I had to say that this is, you know, I have a right to stand here. I have a right to occupy space. I have the occupied, right to occupy the space that I occupy. That sounds right. That sounds right. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving up this spot. And kid or no kid, you're either going to have to go around or you're just going to have to go through me. All right? And then, uh, quite amazingly, that's what started to happen. He was borrowing with such intensity. There was such an expression of cranial will to, to, to get to the other side that it was extraordinary, and he was actually making progress. And I thought, this is, can't be happening. And, and there was like millimeter by millimeter, rib by rib, he was getting through. And I, I, the only term I could use, it, he was starting to crown. And I, I, I was telling myself, do not look down. Just do not look down. Pretend nothing's happening. And I just thought, I am... I am, you, you are not getting, it made me more determined. You are not getting through, little kid. You are not getting through. But the intensity seemed to say, oh, yes, I'm getting through. I am getting through. And I, I, I had to look down because some hairs were starting to spring out. And I was expecting to see, you know, little, little kid, fine, little moppy little kid hair. But it was, it was wiry and, and white and, and, I thought, and, and then it, when, when it popped out, it formed like little puffy tufts. And I thought, that's a perm. There's a perm coming out of my armpit. And, 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 <laughs> and uh, it was not just any perm. It was old lady perm. And so I, I was having a full-on out-of-body experience. And what I can only assume was her face was starting to... to you know, push through to the other side. And have you ever seen on, on Discovery Channel or Science Channel that uh, like when a, an octopus kind of compresses its body and changes color and, 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 and fits itself into a bottle? You know, well, that's what was happening here. And I was getting the, the inside bottle view of, of her coming through. And, and uh, finally, <laughs> as she was coming through, I could see this the skin, and you could see the spots and the crevices and the lines, and it was lo- looking at, like, time and history etched on her face, and it was like looking at a 
twisted, gnarled tree root or, or the, the shell of a tortoise that had been battered by the sea. And, and you just knew that she had been through so much. She had been through famine and wars and drought and, and, and political turmoil. And, and she had gone through it all. Nothing could stop her. And certainly I was not going to stop her at this point. And then with a final burst, she just popped through to the other side. And now the, the, what was sort of fascination had just become terror. And, a, and you have to keep in mind that the kids were still standing there looking at the... They were saying, Dad, this is really cool. I say, it's cool. It's cool. And, and, and then there was this... She, she kind of craned her head to one side and then craned her head to the other side. And then there was this profoundly disturbing moment when we locked gaze and there was a recognition that we were sharing the same space and we had become one and it was and it was like this freakish science fiction horror movie where I had become half man half old Hong Kong lady and for all intents and purposes it must have looked like I had an old lady in a full on headlock in the middle of the street but there were no police coming, no passers-by were intervening. I think because she was so clearly dominating this situation. <laughs> she was dominating that space. And then, then she, I guess she just decided, well, there's nothing much to see here, really. And she started to reverse ooze back in. And I suppose at that time, I could have just released her and let go. But I thought, well, well we've gone this far. It's like... <laughs> Why change anything now? Besides, she's so old. If I made any sudden movements, she might get scared, and then who knows what would happen. So she, she kind of popped herself back to the other side, and I was too afraid to look. She disappeared into the crowd, and I would have just thought that this was some you know, nightmarish waking dream, except I saw these hairs on my sweatshirt. And I'm not here to brag about this situation. I'm not proud that I made any of these choices, but uh, I am grateful to that old lady because I think something definitely shifted. Some kind of psychological dam opened that day, that evening, and um, now I, I think I learned something about finding space, holding space, sharing space, and now uh, things are pretty much the same. I still commute, still use the MTR, but now when I hear the I'm on the inside. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>